Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Hello and welcome to the Ski Podcast with Ian Martin and Jim Duncombe. We, I believe, are the UK's longest running ski podcast. Um, hi Ian, you are right? I'm very well, thank you Jim. How are you? How is Vaclusa? Are you still getting 40 or 35 degree temperatures? Oh, it's a bit cooler now. Um, it's about 24, 25, but you know, I've still got my shorts and my pants on. That's how I'm recording this. Um <laughs> If you're tuning in for the first time, don't uh, just imagine me in pants. Um, but do remember to hit the subscribe button at the end of the show, assuming that you've enjoyed it, which I'm sure you will. Um, it's also, as you're going to find out in a minute, it's well worth getting in touch with the show. And you can do that by emailing jim at the ski podcast.com or ian at the ski podcast.com. We're on Twitter at the ski podcast. Find us on Facebook or just check out our website, theskipodcast.com. Um, coming up in today's show, skiing in Iceland, uh, where to take your new skier friend. Um, we're going to be talking about blind skiing. Um, I've been finding out about a ski resort in Washington and Ian brings us some Valdezair news. Um, there is a bit of an end of season vibe going on at the moment. Um, how did you used to take the uh, end of season um feeling Ian when you when the season was over when you were working out there how did you feel uh it depends uh, on the year in the latter years when I was a resort manager for one of the bigger companies I was extremely relieved when the season was over but uh, yeah you know, normally I had no no kids no responsibilities used to go traveling around the world it was quite like that bit in between I was felt a bit melancholy by it um but then I never realised what the Alps had to offer in the summer. So ah, well, I did do one of my seasons in Chamonix in the summer, and uh, yeah, that sold me on it. I mean, the Alps are amazing in summer. Were you a hill walking guide? <laughs> uh, no, we used to get. It was part of the Lakes and Mountains program with Crystal, and yeah. uh, it was. We also had clients over in uh, in Megève and Annecy and uh, Aix les Bains. And, you know, over in Annecy and aix les they tended to be a, a little bit more grey-haired. In, in Chamonix, you did get a few families. But, no, we just walked them around town, give them a bit of a history and sell them tickets to the Agrida Midi. You must have been raking it in. Um, so uh, the reason there's a bit of an end-of-season vibe is because me and Ian are both, on a, both off on our summer holidays and we're taking a bit of a sabbatical. We'll be back at the end of August. So um, do expect to see us back in your feed then. Right, so... Uh, on Friday the 14th of July, women across Switzerland will be striking to protest at the lack of equal pay. And did you know, Ian, it's been law for 10 years, but the gap is still 20%. Um, the reason we're talking about it is one of the protesters is snowboarder Anne Floor Markser, um, who points out, and she's a pro snowboarder, and she points out the free world to 
um, the men get paid eight thousand euros uh, prize money, and the women are just on four thousand for the free wide tour. Ian, why is there such a big gap in snow sports? Uh, you know, that's a bigger, that's a societal question, isn't it? Um, but I guess. Uh, well, I'm hoping you have the answer to that, Ian. That's what that's what you're here for. <laughs> yeah, I've got the answer. Yeah, it's centuries of uh, of uh, oppression and inequality. I mean, gradually it's uh, changing. But I think the point that she's making um, is that you know it's it's legislated for uh, in uh, in Swiss law, but um, it doesn't you know, exist in reality. And it's interesting to see that it applies, you know, in skiing as well as the regular workplace uh, within within Switzerland and, and across the board. So I thought it was very interesting that she was uh, taking a a stand in it and getting some extra publicity for it. There doesn't seem any reason why uh, it shouldn't be equal. You know, it's the same mountain, uh, it's the same competition effectively. Um, I'm, uh, everyone trains the same. There's there's zero reason that I can see that it shouldn't be an equal prize pot. But the question really is, Ian, what personally as a white male are you doing about this? <laughs> Uh, well, I did demonstrate, I did join the Trump demonstration uh, for women against Trump um, last year. That was good. I don't know, well if, that, I don't know if that helps equality uh, at all, but um, yeah, that's it. I think another thing, we are, another thing we are doing, actually, is in the next episode, episode 39, that's going to come out at the end of uh, August, we're interviewing, um, we'll have an interview with Emily Sarsfield, the um, ski across uh, athlete. And she is running um, some uh, women's only camps in uh, in Maribel. Maybe that's not a quality if they're women's only camps. But we, I think we'll discuss. We'll discuss, you know, gender. And um, can uh, you, while well, you're when you're um, speaking to her, can you find get some recommendations for um, skis for Fran? She's uh, very keen to get a new pair, but doesn't know what to buy. Okay, I will ask Emily about that. Thank you. Um, with some, uh, let's talk about some non-gender specific ski news um, in the terms of um, yeah. piste grooming. Um, oh yeah. Apparently, um, well, not apparently, you sent me a very long article with long words um, <laughs> um, written by about a doctor who has done some research into how the way you groom the piste can help everyone ski better. What's that all about? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long the words were uh, in it, but it was proper research, proper research by you know, a, a uh, not a doctor of medicine, but um, you know, someone who's producing his uh, his MSc or something like that. But he was basically saying his his research showed that the way you groom the slopes with a piece basher or, or a snow groomer, if you want to give it its, its uh, title, it's better known as around the world, actually helps the brain to interpret the slope in front of you. So for example, in in bad weather or in poor visibility, if the way the parallel lines are carved onto the slope makes it easier for you to see it and reduce uh, the number of accidents. From what I understood, he was saying that in a flat light, um, a wider um, groom, I don't know what the, how to describe it, so the corduroy is wider will give you better visibility is his theory when skiing in flat light yeah well there you go you, yeah i think you're uh, completely uh, on it there i mean i just found it really interesting and, and i wondered how many resorts actually take that into account at all when they're when they're doing their snow grooming um 
you know, whether they do it slightly differently if they're different conditions coming up. Oh, you think, oh, you, yeah, that is a good, interesting question. That's an interesting question, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully there'll be resorts listening to this. They'll go to the uh, to the website, theskipodcast.com, and in the show notes, they'll be able to see the link to Dr. Harrison's uh, article, which was um, published in something called Eye Perception um, in, relate, in conjunction with the Queensland Brain Institute. And I'm sure it was peer-reviewed. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I, you can imagine that that would be a really interesting one to to review. I mean, if you're uh, doing, particularly if you're living in Queensland, you've got an excuse to go out to some ski resorts and uh, and review them. I'm not saying that was his motivation. I'm sure it was all completely altruistic. Well, I think if I was a PhD student or someone, I'd probably, right now, I'd invent something that meant I could just go skiing for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Right, um, should we move on, Ian? Yeah. I've got a nice link for this, I Okay. Think. Um, that's from piece, groomed piece to non-groomed pieces. Um, we are always looking for a new place to ski um, and dream of going. Um, a double bonus that I think we both like is when you can ski past the official season end. So um, we were both delighted when we were contacted by a man um, called Chris Howie who went skiing in Iceland after the season uh, had finished. Um, he emailed me in, and as soon as I got that email, I jumped on the phone to find out more. Here is our chat. Chris, first of all, um, can you tell me um, about you and skiing before we go any further? Because obviously the trip you've done is pretty epic, and you don't just do that on your first time skiing. Um, tell me, when did you start skiing, and how much do you ski every year? Okay. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Jim. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Just a quick one. Um, I've been skiing for about 40 years. Uh, I had the benefit or the misfortune of growing up uh, in the States for seven years near the Canadian border. So in a place called Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I learned at high school. Uh, we used to ski uh, every Friday, every Saturday, every Sunday. So that was um, when I was about 10. And I've really been skiing ever since. So we came back to the UK thereabouts and i've been skiing the alps uh, ever since really so um yeah all different types of resorts skied over canada over the us um all over europe so really i was keen to expand our horizons and look for other areas as well um you don't work in the ski industry you're just literally a proper ski enthusiast right yep that's it so i um i've had a, a good innings in the past few years so i do about 40 days a year if i can fit that in with business but um, at 52, your body starts to wear down. So uh, I'm an old skier now, so I tend to take it a different different line now. But, yeah, I've, I tend to look for different options and different resorts as well. So you wrote to us to tell us to stop banging on about um, the fact that winter was over and there were plenty of places to ski in, mate. And we do know that. But you have been to a place where not a lot of people go to skiing. Um, so you have been to Iceland on a heli ski touring trip is that correct that's right yeah so we we didn't plan to go heli skiing initially it was more of a ski touring trip so uh, you raised it earlier um looking for options when the alps close say end of end of april beginning of may and obviously going north to places like uh, lingen alps in in norway up near tromsvo and also iceland is uh, only three hours away so we planned a trip to go to northern iceland where we could do a, a two-day 
ski touring package, which was fantastic because um, we explored the whole island. I uh, just rented a van, put the skis in, uh, have a ski touring set up. I know that Ian was talking a bit more about that when he went to Morocco. So um, we explored Northern Iceland and we got um, two fantastic blue sky skiing days. Uh, we hooked up with a, a team called uh, Viking uh, Heli Skiing in Akuria, which is the north of Iceland. And uh, we, we had two wonderful days with them. So um, as the Alps were shutting down, we managed to go from sea level up to about 1,000 meters and then ski back down. Um, I'm not the best ski tour in the world, uh, so it was a little bit painful. But uh, the conditions were fantastic. Yeah, blue sky and uh, obviously the, the snow had melted, so the edges could get in nice and easily. So are you, um, describe the area to me. Is it quite um, remote and rustic? Are you climbing um, peaks that overlook the sea? What is it like there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, you come from sea level, so that's the benefit. There's no altitude here when you're climbing, um, to about 1,000 metres. So it's a bit like the Jura Mountains and the mountains around, say, Lake Geneva. Um, you can look over and see the sea at any stage. And basically climbing for, say, five, six hours, not, nice and steadily, nothing heavy, and the incline's not that steep. Um, obviously, then a quick turnaround and you can ski back down. So you're definitely skiing right down into the sea, which is fantastic. And uh, there's plenty of other things to do in Iceland, whale watching and, and diving on the tectonic plates. So we, we had a thoroughly enjoyable time. I appreciate it's all weather related. So as you know, if you get the blue sky day, it makes it a lot easier, you know? And you keep saying we, who is this gang of skiers that you convinced to go on crazy trips? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's 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 my son. It's Ben. He's thirty. He lives in Finland, and um, another colleague, Jurgen, who lives in in Belgium, and a good friend of mine, Michael, who's in the UK with me. So it's more of a uh, Michael and I are over fifty. Uh, Jurgen is a young forty odd, and and Ben is thirty. So it's a, just a group of four, and we just plan different trips around uh, uh, May, the May time. So we're looking at areas like Svalbard, north of Norway now. And we're looking at Greenland potentially, and maybe looking at uh, and areas like uh, Baffin Island in Canada as well. Wow, for, for the next few months, or is this for next year? No, no, it, it, we do it every two years, so it's a it's a two year kind of thing. Um, I'm looking at the heli skiing opportunity because that is very addictive. Uh, once you start doing that, it's very very enjoyable not to have to climb and just uh, go to. Areas where there is nobody at all, and you can just—you've got the whole resort, or not resort, the whole uh, area to yourself. So you were heli skiing in Iceland, up in the up in the north, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many how many um, runs do you do a day? Okay, so we we heli skied uh, the initial run, and then we skied toward two other runs that day. So ski touring, obviously, you have to climb the mountain; takes a lot longer. Mm. I think you know from that to get three runs in if your ski touring is is going some if you're heli skiing it it's all depends on the the vertical feet and that's what you commit to so you can do anything from 20 runs down to nothing depending upon the weather how do you plan these trips then so do you um just stick a pin in a snowy map or um is it all done independently as well well we that's a good point we i tend to facebook is good and and social media is excellent to other people who've done these trips before and we always use a guide so from a safety perspective we always try and link in with local professionals so so for example in Lingen uh, we used uh, the Ascent Descent team with Jimmy Halverson who very laid back very very good and uh, they they look after absolutely everything heli skiing is obviously a lot more expensive than ski touring 
So you have to kind of broach that in. And for areas like Svalbard and, and Greenland, um, you have to look at, um, you know, obviously helicopters and, and guides as well. Svalbard has polar bears, so you need to make sure that you have safety first at all times. Wow. Um, are they scared of helicopters, polar bears? <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully they tend to run from them. But, um, yeah, they do, they do like the smell of humans, so you have to keep moving, yeah. Um, so back to Iceland again, what sort of um, height are we looking at? Was it a thousand meters you were doing? Yeah, so we would do, you know, maybe climb a thousand meter for one run and then the vertical, you know, ski back down. So you're looking at five hours climbing for maybe, you know, a, a 20, 30 minute ski. That seems reasonable to me. Yeah, it's it's it, and it wasn't too hard work. I think um, if you go to the northern um, northern Lingen Alps, that was a lot harder. That's maybe fifteen hundred, two thousand meters. But uh, I'm not a ski tourer. I prefer you know gravity to go down as opposed to go up. So um, Iceland was very yeah, very gentle, and uh, you know the, the guys there, at the biking heli ski team, um, had some wonderful guides from all over the planet. So guys from Alaska, uh, guys from the Nordic region as well. So it was very cosmopolitan. Um, Chris, I don't know you. Um, I'm not going to guess the answer to this. But are you a camper? Are you out there camping and sleeping rough, or are you? Um, is it hotels in the evenings? <laughs> no, it's definitely hotels in the evenings. So it's, um, yeah, we we're a bit older. I can't do the camping side. Although Svalbard, we might have to do that. Generally, it's hotels. It doesn't have to be outrageous money. Heli skiing is expensive, and ironically, the only other people that we met were other Brits who were coming there uh, for heli skiing as well. So. We seem to meet Brits skiing all over the planet. Um, so ideally, it's hotels. It's it's not outrageous in terms of luxury, but um, yeah, the, the skiing, the downhill skiing, is the key part. Well, well, it sounds like a very exciting adventure that you went on. Thank you very much for taking some time to talk to me about. So there we go, Northern Iceland, another one for your bucket list. Ian, you thinking it might might go? Gosh, yeah, there's so many places to uh, to go to. I mean, I'd love to go to Iceland for sure, whether it's for uh, skiing or just to see the country. I've heard it's it's very beautiful, although hugely expensive. I don't know if that's true, but uh, I'll stick it on the list. What he was saying was about a thousand euros his trip cost him, which I don't think that's bad for a couple of uh, two days heli skiing and the rest was touring and hotels and stuff. That's not too bad, is it? I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, what I like about it. Um, is this growing notion that I never really realised for a while about skiing, that using it, and you've obviously been to Morocco, but using skiing as a, a place, uh, as a way to explore the world. Like, I used to understand when I was younger about going surfing and how you would utilise that as a, an excuse to travel to different locations and experience different cultures. But, you know, it's never really... It was never really in my mind that it can, skiing and snowboarding could could be a tool to drive you to go to some places. But slowly, you know, as we read that book a few weeks ago by Arnie, it's starting to dawn on me. But that is going to be um, something that I'm going to grow into um, when I probably leave the Alps later on uh, in yeah. the, the next two. No, I mean, you're right. It was, it was episode 30 when we covered uh, my trip to Morocco when I went ski touring over there. And yeah, it was it was hugely exciting. J simply carrying skis, you know, through the airport in Marrakesh, which uh, you know is so disassociated with with skiing, really, and then strapping them onto the donkey to go up into the mountain, and it really gave me a taste for other sort of things. Actually, um, 
there's probably someone out there who we can interview about it. But uh, I was reading today about uh, um, skiing on Mount Etna in Sicily. Yeah, that sounds quite uh, quite exciting, a different piece of tourism that you could do. I think I've seen videos of people literally skiing next to flowing lava on that. I yeah, right? I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's huh? that sounds like a bit of, like straight out of a movie or, or something. But, uh, uh, you know, I, li- I like the idea. Although, you know, obviously in New Zealand, uh, Ruapehu is a, it's a live volcano, isn't it? Yeah. It is, absolutely. And it's a cracking ski area as well. You skied there. Uh, no, I write... A... Shh, Ian, I've not skied there, but I write an awful lot about it. <laughs> I see. Right, OK. But yes, adventure. So Iceland on the bucket list. Um, also, um, Chris has sent me, I think he sent me a, um, uh, a YouTube slideshow of his trip. Uh, I'm sure we'll put that in the show notes so you, yep. can, um, you could watch that and feel um, slightly jealous. I've um, got an extra segment for you, quickly. Um, this came in literally moments after I finished recording the last podcast, um, so I thought I'd slide it in. It's from Dave Burrows of Slow Pro Ski School. Um, have a listen to this. Hello, Jim and Ian. Hope you're well. It's Dave Burrows from Slow Pro Ski School here. Um, I, uh, what do ski instructors do in the summer? Well, I've just come back from something called the uh, KTM western alps rally so i've been riding my uh, motorbike off road for a week in the italian alps which is pretty cool but on my way back uh, i have uh, come over the col d'isaran and uh, as i get to the top of the col d'isaran i notice that there's a whole bunch of uh, summer skiing going on here in val d'isere um i've just gone down to the car park there's loads of race clubs here um but it's they're, they're accessing the uh the skiing from the Cascades lift, which you can get from the uh, from the top of the Col d'Isaran. Uh, it looks like there's loads of skiing open. It looks like the slopes are in really, really good condition. So, uh, yeah, if you want to access any summer skiing, um, I'm not sure how long this is open for, but I expect you could look up that info. But, uh, yeah, it looks in pretty good condition, mate. So um, I hope you're both well, and uh, I'll see you soon from a sunny Val d'Isere. See ya. Bye. Thanks for that, Dave. Um, oh, I wish I'd nipped over to Val d'Isere and gone skiing. Anyway, back to the show. Um, oh, Ian, we've got a new feature for the podcast. Have we? <laughs> okay. It's called, it's called Ask Ian and Jim. It was going to be called Ask the Experts, but um, <laughs> I didn't think it was relevant. Um, so we've had a few emails asking us questions. Here's the first one. It's a question from a guy called Michael Hart. Yes. He says, I am looking to take my girlfriend skiing for the first time this coming season. She is having beginner ski lessons at the Chill Factor. Chill Factory, how can I still don't know what it is? <laughs> this weekend, but it was her first experience of skiing. Uh, actually, she, he wants his, her first experience of skiing to be a very positive one. And so she falls in love skiing like we all have. Can we, me and Ian, recommend any resorts which you think are excellent for beginners? Ideally, somewhere with excellent ski schools, potentially France, and lots of beginner beasts to build confidence. First of okay. all, Michael, well done. Um, going skiing with a, a new partner or any partner for the first time you know, can make or break a relationship. So good luck there. Um, Ian, what, what have you got to recommend? 
Yeah, well, uh, I'm also thanks for the question, uh, Michael. Uh, you've said uh, someone with excellent ski schools, potentially France, and lots of beginner piece. You know, last winter, I'm guessing that that's not 1819, so 17-18, uh, we went uh, on our family holiday to Les Saisies, which is uh, it's in France. Uh, it's a decent ski area. Um, but really, I'd say excellent place to uh, to go with your girlfriend for a, uh, a first holiday because not particularly you know, challenging skiing, but uh, you'd still get good ski school, a number of different ski schools there you can choose from. And uh, it's actually a very pretty resort that's not so expensive relative to some of the others, you know, that are available. So I'm going to I'm going to pick out Lacey's E for you. Uh, so try that. Good one. Um I'm gonna. I've got a few recommendations. I'm gonna say it's not just about the skiing. Like we all love skiing, but it's not what everyone necessarily falls in love with it, skiing for. So I'm gonna go and recommend Val d'Isère. I think um, everyone who goes there loves the place. It's got the full package. I mean, I don't say it's the best for beginners um, in terms of loads of beginner slopes, but you know, it's that resort that everyone really really loves and i think if you want to make someone love a place or love skiing val d'isere might be a really good option and it's got some great schools like oxygen um, bass are there and obviously um old friends of the show tdc ski as well yeah i mean it's going to be more expensive going there for sure but you know cost isn't it doesn't mention cost at all it's not not uh the issue um and you know you said potentially france but there you go val d'isere did you say you had another suggestion as well Oh yeah, come to the Clouser or the Grand Bonhomme around the yeah. corner. Really good, and you know it's great for quiet skiing. In the, it's a weekend resort. Everyone comes up from Annecy in Geneva to ski during the weeks. It's really quiet, and there's great options for skiing. Yeah. And stuff. I mean, it's interesting. You know, I guess it depends on their age a little bit uh, as well, which we don't have any uh, clue. I think Val d'Isere is, you know, for a first holiday. If you're younger and you want a bit of apres ski as part of your holiday as well, then you know, Val d'Isere would be an excellent choice. And now that I think about it, I did go on holiday with a group of friends to, to Val. A couple of them were beginners on that trip, and one of them now owns his own apartment in Flen. Um, so many years later, so that obviously worked as a, an introduction. That's quite a contrast when, like, Val d'Isere bought a ski apartment. In For Florida. sure, but then have you tried to buy a ski apartment in Val d'Isere? You know, it's it's not no, cheap. You know, not. It, it's not a cheap. It's a brilliant resort. I love skiing there. Absolutely, I'm not sure I'd necessarily recommend it for someone's first uh, ski trip. Or what about the Swiss side of the Port de Soleil? There's some great ski instructors there, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Front, if you. If, that's a plug for Dave there, Snow Pros. Uh, or Caprun, you know, um, that's a great place for beginners if you fancy going um, Austrian as well. What's the next question we've got, Ian? Okay. In this great segment. Yeah, so ask Ian and Jim. This is a question that came in on Twitter from Jamie McAllister. And he says, um, hey, guys, was wondering if you could help me out. I am registered blind and also uh, wear one hearing aid. I've never tried skiing before. So what would your advice be for me and where can I do it? and Who can I talk to? So um, I replied saying that's a great question. We're going to put it into this episode and did a bit of research into it. I had a little ask out. Uh, to a number of people and we got some really good responses actually so uh, snow sport england got back if if we hadn't had these responses what would would you have known would you have had a suggestion for for jamie 
Um, I probably would have recommended them to um, Snow Sports UK, Disability Snow Sports UK. But other than that, I wouldn't be able to yeah. confidently. Well, I mean, it was interesting. Um, Snow Sport England actually have a campaign called Go Ski Go Board, which is designed to you know get more people on the slopes in in general, and has been very successful over the last few years. Uh, but they replied saying they've got clubs and facilities that cater for the visually impaired, and they also specifically mentioned uh, a club. Uh, which helps uh, visually impaired skiers and alpine racing, and they're called Outspan Rebels. And they got back to us uh, as well, saying that they have three sessions this summer as a taste uh, ski lessons for blind and visually impaired people. And it looks like they are at Milton Keynes and they're in June, August, September. You know, very good value. They've got some in Castleford as well. So I'll put all the links to this into the show notes um, and and. Thank you, uh, Jamie, for that. Ski Club of Great Britain also uh, got back to us and mentioned Disability Snow Sport UK, which have meetups around the uh, the UK uh, as well. And there's a link for the dates of their different um, meetups, which will drop in the show notes as well. So, yeah, unsurprisingly, in a in an environment where you know the Paralympics and success of visually impaired athletes is is much more. Significant than it used to be. There's actually a reasonable amount of uh, support out there for people who want to uh, ski who are visually impaired. Wonderful, great research. Well done, Ian. Um, and thanks to everyone for those two people for your questions. If, if you'd like to contribute to this um, this particular feature, we're not saying it's regular, but you can email um, us with your questions or tweet us with your questions, as we've said before. Um, and we'll yeah. do our well. It'll be as, it'll be as regular as if people ask us questions. <laughs> Because if someone says, "Dear Jim and Ian, can you answer this?" and we'll we'll answer it, <laughs> and if they don't, we'll uh, we'll come up with other things to fill the time. <laughs> I think that went quite well. Well done, us. I'll change it to experts next time. Um, right, uh, Ian, you have been uh, chatting to people from Val d'Isère about a topic close to our heart. Uh, yeah, that's true. I was at a Val d'Isère press event uh, earlier this week. And uh, the, the tourist office uh, people were there. And uh, I noticed, well, last season, I think I mentioned it. I can't exactly uh, remember now. But we, um, I downloaded their app and noticed that on their app, they actually have uh, their own podcast, which I listened to. And I um, had a little chat to find out a bit more about it. Okay, I'm here with uh, Cecile Forando, uh, Communications Director from the Val d'Isère Tourist Office. And uh, as someone who uh, runs my own uh, podcast, a ski podcast, I was very interested in the fact that Val d'Isère produced your own podcast, which is uh, available within the app. And I wondered what led you to, uh, to, do, to do that, to create that. So we were um, thinking of making the app different because uh, we had the app for quite a few years now and we just wanted to tell people that Valizer is not only a ski resort, we wanted people to know that uh, we have a great history, there's lots to be known about Valizer, its uh, inhabitants and uh, the fauna and the flora yeah. and also the champions and yeah. the history. I, I, I found it really interesting and I learned a lot. It would be interesting to see how much I can actually remember of it now. But I think you go into one of the things you talk about is that why the symbol of Val d'Isère is an eagle. eagle. That's one of the ones yes. on there, isn't well, it? Then, yeah. Yes, exactly. And there may be 10 different, you know, shorts. 10 uh, different. Uh, and also we did some uh, for the summer. So we have some uh, 
uh, winter podcast and also some uh, ah. summer podcast. Ah, I haven't heard the summer ones, I don't think. I need to go back to so it then. So you need to go back to the app. Yeah. And uh, we wanted first to be only in the app. And then this yeah. year, we're going to release them as well on SunCloud or somewhere okay. else. I don't know where, exactly yeah. where. But we think it's a great idea because people are now listening a lot, you know, and they yeah. talk to their phone and they, they want the phone to answer. They're listening a lot. So we thought, oh, let's make Well, absolutely. Different. I mean, obviously, I'm very uh, biased because I'm a complete convert to podcasts and we've been doing you know, our podcast for a couple of years now but the fact is that people like to consume their information like that it's a lot easier perhaps sometimes than if you're on the train or on the commute to have a listen or even so, on the chairlift or even on the chairlift <laughs> exactly when you when you've uh, downloaded the app and i think this one was good as well because yeah, it was very educational yeah, as well. Yeah, we want it to be educational but fun. And we have one voice who's presenting the podcast yeah. and we have another voice who's telling a story. And yeah. we tried to put as well some people um, explaining their story and yeah. what happened. We wanted it to be kind of alive and so people think they're in value there and they understand. Yeah. And and it's in French and in English, isn't it's it? It's in French and in English. So, so who's the speaker in English then? Is it someone in the tourist know? office? No, not at all. It's uh, We have a few different speakers. We have one speaker, it's a girl, it's uh, Paula Reber. She's English. She lives in Val for years. She works uh, for Val Tourism. Okay. And, uh, we have David McCallum, he's uh, working for us as a PR representative, he's here tonight. Okay. And we also have uh, John from YSC. I wondered if uh, he might be involved. Yeah, he okay. Is involved. He he's, is a bit of a Val yeah. expert, of he course. He is a Val expert yeah. and they've been really doing a great job and they're really kind. And they know Val and they're also part of Val yeah, so great. I thought it was good okay. to have them. Excellent. Well, I think it's a great idea, very progressive. I'm going to be suggesting to other resorts that uh, uh, maybe they follow your lead. And um, I will definitely go back and listen to those summer episodes as well. So merci bien, Cécile. Thank you very much. Um, so was it like an audio guide where that you get if you go to the Bayo Tapestry? Um, no, it's not like that because it doesn't say, you know, you, you've got a number one in front of you, press one now. Um, it's more, uh, you know, just download it, download the app and have a little listen. Um, you know, historical insight and a little bit of background into the resort uh, itself. And, you know, I found it really interesting when I was chatting to uh, Cecile at that uh, particular event, just, you know, the uh, the reasoning that went behind it all. Personally, obviously, we're preaching to the converted with me talking to you. I mean, podcasts are the, uh, the future and giving people... Um, content in audio format uh, is something that's going to be increasingly important. So I think they're probably uh, well ahead of the trend, Val by you know creating this, uh, well, already for last season. Um, how do you, I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, we, sh we should do some, maybe we should do some from for some other ski resorts here. That'd be well, that is um, a very good idea. Are you a ski resort listening now? Get in contact with us and we'll create some podcasts for you. Absolutely. Um, how do you feel about this um, trend of uh, listening to podcasts 1.5 speed? Do you think people do that to us? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I believe that the millennial, I do never do, do it. it. I couldn't, couldn't stand doing that. But I believe that if you're a millennial and, uh, you know, you've got limited time, but you want to listen to everything, then they listen to podcasts so yeah, at um, 1.5 or double speed to get through as many as possible. I, I would say that you would probably sound yeah. and I would probably sound a little odd at 1.5 speed. I think I sound pretty good, normal, <laughs> to be honest. Um, while we're talking about Valdez Air, um, uh, and if you, if you know, if that progressive 
podcasting resort of Val d'Azur um, is the place for you and you think you might want to buy a property there, um, we asked uh, Snow um, podcast supporters, Snow only, Mark, the boss, um, has this to say about the Val d'Azur property market. There we go. So if you're considering buying or selling a ski property, then Snow Only is the place for you. An impartial platform dedicated to ski property with over 3,500 property listed. SnowOnly.com. It has mountains of property. I always smile when I say that. Um, thank you very much for supporting the show. Really appreciate that. Now, if you thought owning a ski resort would be a license to print money, you could be wrong. All across the states, there are thousands of mid-sized ski resorts with a dedicated following. In the USA, they are often referred to as weekend resorts, where locals will ski most of the time and then take a vacation to like a bigger resort. But it isn't plain sailing. This is a story of one of them. Timberline Four Seasons Resort near Washington D.C. has a checkered past and is on a current path that has locals worried. I asked one of its frequent skiers if they thought it would be open next season. Hard to say. Uh, it's closed for the summer. Uh, whether it will open next season is a question that remains to be seen. That's John. He's a DC resident, ski enthusiast. He blogs for a website called DC Ski and owns a condo in the resort of Timberline. In 1982, Timberline was developed. Timberline sits at an elevation of 3,200 feet, and the top elevation is 4,200. It's about 1,000 feet of vertical, I think, in meters. That's about 300 meters, uh, which is respectable. It's got about 125 skiable acres, um, but much more off-pist tree skiing. It's one of, the, one of the best, has some of the best expert terrain in the region. John is clearly passionate about the resort, and I'm sure he could talk for hours on the subject and will happily share his deep knowledge of the ski mountain, the lifts, the infrastructure. But recently, he's become a bit disillusioned with the resort and its management. Uh, it started going wrong when the, uh, the, the, the owner, Doc Reichel, retired and, and turned it over to his nephew, Fred Hertz. And we suffered a catastrophic lift failure in 2016. The crossbar of one of the um, one of the lift towers broke off. Eighteen people were injured, two seriously injured. I had I was actually there. I was not on the lift. I had several of my friends were on the lift. It was a very traumatic experience. Uh, he then went on to explain that there are no authorities that oversee lift inspections in the states, and down it's down to individual resorts and insurance companies to monitor the safety in the situation. So, if you have a resort actively not spending money, accidents are likely to happen. John's other gripe is the wholesale lack of investment in the resort. There have been no significant substantive improvements in snowmaking for the last uh, ten years or so. In this area, even even where they're located, climate change is an issue. We face we, we have vicious freeze thaw cycles, and snowmaking has to be re robust if one is to survive in this region. 
and they haven't been keeping up with 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 snowmaking technology and more importantly the boring parts of snowmaking pipes pumps those sorts of things according to john it was a successful business with thousands of happy ski visitors a year but at some point the money started to dry up and so the owners needed to find some more cash as of late they're about two and a half million dollars in debt they were using money from a utility service serviced about 700 customers including myself a water utility they were taking that money and a, and a fee to a public service division that was involved in cleaning water and using it for whatever reason, um, perhaps to operate the ski resort, perhaps just to pay themselves, we don't really know. So to recap, the resort ran the waterworks and then started to take the money paid for that service and spend it elsewhere. Naturally, it didn't take long before the state intervened and took away the water services from the Timberline Resort. As it stands, the resort owners are in negotiations with creditors to see if they will be allowed to restructure the business or are they going to be forced to liquidate it, which you know would be devastating for loyal skiers like John. So far, it seems like a normal tale of business. But there are other factors that John thinks have contributed to the current situation. There have been some other events. Uh, one, one event is that Reichel, the original owner, uh, has been indicted in a pill mill scheme, basically prescribing opiates illegally. And in, in, the, in Appalachia, where the opiate uh, epidemic has hit, extremely hard. This is unconscionable. It is the worst type of crime. So far we have had drugs, um, embezzlement, a catastrophic lift failure. Should we end there? The other thing that happened uh, of late is that the resort every year relies on between 15 and 19 uh, students from mainly South America that come on a, what we call a J-1 visa and work at the resort. Nearly every ski resort in America relies on J-1 visa recipients. These are kind of the muscle that make ski resorts run. And they're great kids and they work extremely hard. And these kids pay, come up with their own money to get over to the United States. And it's usually over a thousand dollars. And they came here and they were not given a place to live. They had no money, no work, uh, in a very cold place, and were essentially left stranded. Luckily, the locals helped out. They put them up in homes, um, found them work, or helped them move on to find different work in other ski resorts. This, though, will add to the resort's woes, as these workers will not return in the future. But that's it, right, John? The sheriff's department actually arrested Fred this year for failure to pay hotel taxes. And that was another, another bit of drama. 
So with all that, John and fellow skiers are rightly concerned about the future of their ski resort. Funding is a big issue for smaller resorts. Each year resorts require millions to keep going and improving. It's thought in Timberline lift pass sales are down, adding to the pressure of the resort's future. But what does John think is one of their overall contributing factors? The pass alliances, if you're not part of one of the big companies, such as Vale or Altera, uh, and you can't partake in the Epic Pass or the Icon Pass, again, it's very hard to exist. So, is John hopeful for his ski resort? Given the fact that there are so few places in this region that have the kind of climate close to Washington, I think it will survive. But the, the American legal system is, is so complex and convoluted that it could take quite a few years, uh, not months, but years for this to, to all be sorted out. And in the meantime, everybody suffers even the owners of the resort, because they're not bringing in revenue. It would be a great shame if a resort like this was to disappear. It would affect hundreds of people and deny many more of the joys it brings. But maybe the moral of the story is, running a ski resort isn't such a good idea after all, and could be trickier than it looks. Um, super reviews. We've got reviews. Well, well, to be honest with you, I don't think we actually do have a, a review. <laughs> oh, hang on. Stop, oh, stop right. the press. We've got one. Um, in that in that audio that you heard earlier about our trip to um, Iceland, not our trip, um, Chris's trip, um, when I finished recording, I forgot to press record, um, and he, he bigged us up. So I'm just going to play that right now. Love your podcast. Uh, I really, uh, I really appreciate how you and Ian have developed things. Isn't that nice to hear someone actually saying it, not just um, writing it? Uh, yeah, you can you can send in your reviews or do your reviews however you want. If you want to record them and send them in to us, so much the better. If you want to put them on iTunes or uh, or uh, whatever podcast provider you listen to, then you know they're all appreciated and they do help other people find us. And you know we do have on um itunes we have 44 ratings of which 38 are five star so i think that's that's pretty good according to uh, itunes that just gives us f a five star rating overall which yeah we are a five star podcast super podcast <laughs> hosts i don't think he was talking about the host but maybe it all adds up doesn't it yeah i think i mean we're an integral part of the show without us seeing it it would just be so. <laughs> it would be difficult without it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, are we? Um, I've realised that I didn't even write down the actual answer, so it's a genuine question. Did we decide if we're going to read the book that Ed suggested um, in the last episode? Oh well, I've I've bought it. That's a very good point. I have bought it, so yeah, we don't have to read it, but I've got it now, so it'd be um, good if we did. Could you remind the listeners what, what it was? Yeah, it's the it's the um, memoirs, I, I suppose, of an amateur ski racer. Um, he, he's a guy who's um, you know really involved with the whole of uh, it's a Kandahar club, isn't it? Which is you know uh, 
the uh, the people who are mainly involved with running the uh, Inferno in Murren, etc. He's called Cleves Palmer, and it's called Going Downhill Fast. And there's quite a lot of photos in there, I can tell you. And it comes in a sort of, it's not quite an A4 format, but it's not your normal book size. I found it quite difficult to, to find, but specialist retailers such as Ski Bartlett are selling it. Ah, uh. Yeah, it's and there's lots of pictures of famous famous people in there. You, I don't not, think you'll find it on Amazon. No, it's not coming off on Amazon. I was, I was searching right now to purchase. Yeah, it. and 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 there was no cheap way of buying it either. So better be good, Ed, or you're going to be in trouble. That's Ed, who in episode thirty-seven recommended it to us. Why don't you read your copy I'm, I'm, and then you can post it to me afterwards and I'll post it back. Yeah, he does He does in the pictures, which is as far as I've got at the moment, uh, he does have lots of pictures of, you know, fairly famous people. I'm pretty sure when we read it, we'll discover that the Cleves Palmer, Palmer is, is related somehow to the Palmer Tonkinson family. Uh, and he's also got pictures of... Um, uh, not Kate Middleton, but the other Middleton, uh, who's uh, Philippa Middleton, is that her name? Yeah, he, my, he, my um, favourite Middleton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah took, place in the, uh, took part in the Inferno uh, before and various other kind of minor royals uh, and relations within there. So he completely mixes in, uh, in high company. Are you saying it's basically Hello magazine for skiing? Yeah, possibly, with a bit of history, maybe. We'll find out. We're going to read right. it, and maybe maybe a couple of episodes time because I'm currently reading Crime and Punishment, which is going to take a while. Okay, I, I don't know what that is either. I'll look it up. <laughs> I'm still reading Wallander. Um, why? Why? Because it's good. No, no, right? Yeah, because there's so many of them in the series. I it's I remember now. It's taking a while. It's taking a while. Um, I've got loads of other stuff to read. Um, I need to go on holiday. Um, well, that's a good idea. So, well, let's go on holiday, Ian. Let's have a summer break. Um, what are you doing for your summer break, Ian? Uh, we're going to the mountains, actually. Um, I'm going, well, I think, you know, I'm doing a trail race in, in Morzine and Avoriaz. Uh, we'll also be in Chamonix, hoping to uh, to get some uh, content while we're there record something maybe we'll go up the agri de midi i'd love to do that step into the void i've not done that uh before oh, yeah you know what i'm talking about there where yeah, we're in the big. top of the agri de midi there's a glass box and you can step out basically it's a kilometer drop immediately below you i'm assuming i have the courage to it because i went there in i think january and it was closed really annoyingly i can't remember what the reason was um so i'd really I like think to, david uh, blaine was up there <laughs> right yeah exactly so yeah Morzine, Chamonix uh, a bit of Switzerland a bit of Swiss Alps as well so uh, yeah looking forward to that well let me know I might, if I'm around I'll pop over to Chamonix and we can have a, uh, a coffee and uh, could record a live podcast who knows um, a live podcast a live podcast um, I'm going back to the UK going to do some surfing although I've been watching the report it looks quite flat so um, I'm eking it out don't want to go back until there's waves really um, I'm booked onto a climbing course, so I'm going to do that. That's exciting. But Ian, um, I wanted to talk you about this because I'm thinking about doing my first ever trail running event. Oh yeah, um, I've done. I've been running quite a bit recently. Um, as soon as the season ended, I thought I'm going to keep this leg um, fitness going and started running. And I'm up to doing like 22 kilometres now. Which I think it's all right now. 
um, a lot of mountains. But there's um, a, there's a competition called La Belliere in the Clusen. There's different events. You can do a seven, a fifteen. Uh, the fifteen kilometer run is called Le Gueux de Fromage. Uh, basically, it's locals versus uh, anyone else, and you get a massive block of reblochon halfway around, which is quite nice. Right. Okay. Or, or I was thinking maybe I should do the twenty-seven kilometer one and really challenge myself. What do you reckon? Um, it's entirely, entirely up to you. I mean, you're running 22 kilometers at the moment and you're in the mountains and you're a local. Um, I'm sure powered by Roblachon cheese, you can achieve anything. I oh, know I don't count as a local still. Um, I was speaking to someone else who did it in the past and they, they still get demoted to the tourist team, even if you have a, a, an address here, unless you're actually physically from the area. Hmm. Okay. You have to, you have to be born in a peace bash, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah well go for it i mean you know you've probably found what i found is i just love kind of running in the mountains and being out there in in nature you know it's it's just fantastic i don't think i've got to that stage yet Ian. i still pretty much hate it i, I don't like i don't like running that much maybe that'll change yeah, well, I'm going on a I'm going on a press trip to uh, Switzerland to Grimentz, which uh, was an area that you skied in um, last winter. It's covered in episode 35, uh, and hopefully, I'm going to be able to review some of the slopes that you skied down that I'm going to uh, run up. And during that week, we have a schedule which is incredibly detailed from Switzerland Tourism. And you know it's a, it's a, it's a Swiss event when on your itinerary it has um, uh, you know, timings that are, for example, 6.12, arrive at hotel. <laughs> you know, because like, they know the trains are going to arrive on time. This is how long it's going to take. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, during the week, we're doing trail running uh, each day with guides and looking at uh, different uh, parts of the course, etc. And I think we're doing 3,000 metres of climbing in four days or something like that. So that, you know, should come back from that fairly fit or knackered. And how far is each day? Uh, well, you run in the morning and then you have lunch and then you run in the afternoon. So uh, day one is uh, 1,000 metre up over 10k. Uh, then lunch and then 8.5 550 meter vertical and it you know kind of continues it's a bit hard to know how long that would take but a thousand meter ascent over 10 kilometers is pretty hilly when i look at different events i run for example the morzine one is roughly 750 vertical per 10k so that is a hilly uh, race for sure so uh, i've brought some new uh, poles have you got poles for your trail running no do I need them? Yeah. Well, I find them useful. So pop into your local quetcher uh, uh, and uh, and find something. Um, I'm more of a decathlon man. I think they're the same thing. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> well, there we go. Um, that's the, the, uh, the promotional bit for the trail running podcast coming soon. Um, yep. Uh, look forward to that, Ian. Good luck. I will um, avidly be staring at your Strava to see how you get on. And then sneak, then sneak over the week after and see if I can beat any of your times. So. Yeah. Enjoy your um, surfing and your climbing. And we will um, meet again towards the end of August for our next episode. That's right. Ian, I think I can even hear the sound of the transfer coach starting up. And I think Excellent. I probably can also hear the coach driver announcing that the toilets are out of order for the full 20-hour journey. Right. Brilliant. Let's, I shall see, see you in August, Ian. 
Yeah, thank you to you and thank you to our listener. And don't forget, listener, you can catch up with all of our uh, episodes at theskipodcast.com. Lots of lots of uh, content there to catch up with during these long summer months between ski seasons. That's it. Have a lovely summer. Bye.